This is Age Well with Dr. Sophie Schotter. I'm your host, Fiona Mattesini, and I think this might just be my favorite episode that Sophie has done so far. We're talking all things supplements. And as you'll know, there's a lot out there. And Dr. Sophie covers some of the big ones, including a few things you may not have realized. The problem has always been being able to take enough to have any significant effect. And a few of her favourites. I love CBD. I think (laughs) it's excellent. Including something that had a surprising impact. I don't think I've ever had a better night's sleep than after that. And a supplement that I reckon not many people will have heard of with a benefit that may just come in useful. I'm not a big drinker at all, but if I know I'm going to be going out and having a couple of drinks, I will make sure I've had my... Stay listening for that one. Thanks for listening. Here's our extended special on vitamins, adaptogens, nootropics and herbs. Okay, shall we run through some of the basics first, Sophie, but with a few caveats that everything we mentioned here is based on listeners having their doctor's approval or guidance before taking any supplements, especially if they're on other meds or or medical treatment. We're not suggesting as well that people buy everything we talk about here because we're going to run through a lot. These are just things to think about and apply to what your body needs right now. And I also want to mention that Sophie will mention some brands that she knows and uses and can recommend. But there are loads of brands out there, obviously, and we can't possibly mention them all or check their efficacy. And Sophie won't have been able to try them all, but we will put some links in the show notes where there are some interesting articles from credible sources that mention a few brands just as a little signpost to help. And people can feel free to send us their recommendations in the comments as well of Sophie's Insta. So let's start with vitamin C, Sophie, because I keep reading firstly about the absorption factor and also uh, some of these new credible studies linking high dose and intravenous vitamin C to offset various viruses, sometimes even more serious conditions, and um, people are using it to counteract long COVID. Yeah, so vitamin C is a great vitamin, but The problem has always been being able to take enough to have any significant effect. And, you know, the thing I always get from patients when I talk about vitamin C is, oh, yeah, I have plenty of oranges or orange juice or whatever Mm. they think has vitamin C in. And actually, you have to eat a small mountain of oranges every day to get an adequate dose of vitamin C. So supplementing is extremely useful here. But exactly what dose to supplement with is usually limited by your gut's ability to tolerate it. So there's a limit to how much can be absorbed. And with higher doses of vitamin C, and this can start anywhere from between 2,000 and 4,000 milligrams, people can get a lot of diarrhea. So... Mm -hmm it's a difficult one to get a lot of orally. There are some supplements that have circumnavigated that issue by using liposomal delivery mechanisms. So one that I really rate is a brand called Altriant, who Mm -hmm. have this gel sachet that you take in a shot of water. And Evernutri is a newer brand that have launched a liposomal capsule and their liposomes are absolutely minuscule. They're tiny. For me, for example, if I can feel that I'm getting a cold or flu, I'll take a good dose of vitamin C alongside some other immune boosting supplements to try and nip it in the bud. And I do find, I I can't remember the last time I was properly unwell. Mm. 
But the high-dose vitamin C is interesting and also a little bit controversial. Long COVID, there are some studies starting to show promise. There have very long-term been people talking about the potential benefits of high-dose vitamin C for cancer therapeutics, but we don't have the data to back that up at the moment. And actually, Imperial College who are an extremely reputable scientific institution, have done some studies that show that if someone is very unwell with COVID, high-dose vitamin C isn't effective and could even be harmful. So I think the key here is if you're feeling yourself getting unwell with what you think is a virus, it might help you. It might help it to be more short-lived. But this isn't something for when someone is extremely unwell. It's also a great ingredient for skincare. Whether it's in a serum or in an ingestible form, it can have good benefits for skin. I'm not going to talk about skincare products here. We've covered that in another Mm. episode. Mm -hmm. But to just say that actually vitamin C, your body can't make collagen without vitamin C. And there's also been a link between vitamin C intake and the length of your telomeres. Telomeres are the little caps on the ends of your DNA, like those little plastic bits on the end of shoelaces. Mm. It's really important, the length of your telomeres for your longevity and your cellular health. And there have been studies linking your dietary intake of vitamin C with the length of your telomeres in a positive way. It is a great supplement. Right. Vitamin D. And again, some really interesting studies emerging on why vitamin D is so important. Vitamin D is one that I do firmly believe everybody in the UK should be taking. We do get some nutritionally, although nowhere near enough, and our bodies make it in response to exposure to UVB light. Now, UVB light is only high enough in the UK to make vitamin D from May to September. From September to May, doesn't matter how much you're outdoors, you're not going to be making enough vitamin D. And if you get a really lovely hot holiday in September and you think, oh, it's fine, I've just had that holiday, the supplies we tend to build up on a holiday like that only last for about a month. So we do need to be thinking about supplementing with vitamin D. And almost every body tissue and organ needs vitamin D. It has its own independent hormonal function and it's hugely beneficial for helping to fight infections. It helps to reduce inflammation. There are scientists looking at establishing relationships between vitamin D and, for example, for MS. It was one of the things that's been looked at a little bit around COVID and I still do believe could play a role mm-hmm. with COVID. Interesting. We really do need to be thinking about supplementing. The exact dose that someone needs, I can't tell you because it will vary from individual to individual. But a lot of people take vitamin D because they think it's important for their bone health because it's often included in a supplement together with calcium. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason why it's in those supplements is to absorb and retain calcium and make sure that calcium is going to the bones where it's needed for bone density. But In actual fact, vitamin D on its own for bone isn't looking like it's that beneficial. It's one of the few tissues of the body that maybe doesn't directly benefit from vitamin D. So I think that's quite an interesting one. Mm. But when it comes to actually picking out a supplement, I guess my key tips would be to pick a vitamin D3 because D2 just isn't as bioavailable. So D3 
most of us in the UK need an awful lot more than the government tells us we do. So take at least 2,000 units a day. Some people need more. And how much you need will depend on your age. So the older you are, the more you need. Your fat content, the more fat you have, the more you need. And also your skin colour. So the darker the skin, the less vitamin D you can make because the less sun rays you will absorb. So it's really important to think of all of those things, as well as if you're being good and wearing sunscreen, that's going to impact on your vitamin D production. And we need to take vitamin D with K2, is that right? Absolutely. So the one that I take is actually by a brand called Allergy Research Group, and it's called Vitamin D3 Complete. And it contains all of the other fat-soluble vitamins, not just K2. But A, D, E, and K are the fat-soluble vitamins. And if you're taking vitamin D long-term, your levels of all of those other ones can become depleted. So it's important to think about bolstering those along the way. Okay, and we're going to link into all of this and all of these studies as well. Okay, let's talk about another favourite of yours, magnesium. (laughs) Oh, I love magnesium. This comes in lots of different shapes and sizes, should we say. You can find lots of different forms of magnesium. So possibly magnesium glycinate is good if you've got a gentle stomach. Some people say that magnesium citrate acts as a natural laxative. Magnesium gluconate is a common one. So personally, the brand I take here is called Evernutri, and it's a really high quality magnesium citrate, which doesn't cause any gut effects because it doesn't have the binding agents, which tend to be the thing that's responsible. Mm -hmm. But magnesium has so many different benefits. It's great for helping sleep well. Good one if you suffer from headaches, which I can be prone to. Mm -hmm. It helps you to maintain good blood sugar control could help with mental health issues like anxiety and depression, Mm -hmm. can help with muscle recovery after exercise. I can't stress enough how important this is if you struggle with sleep. Mm -hmm. It really does do a great job for that. It's one that I think almost everyone can benefit from being on. And would you take it at night or before bedtime because of the sedative effect? Yeah, I do take it at night and I would recommend that. Right, B vitamins, particularly in relation to mood, depression and plant-based or vegetarian diets. Like I'm mostly vegetarian. I cheat when I'm in Italy, which is <laughs> <laughs> really bad. But um, I was once told that uh, vegetarians need to really watch their B vitamins in relation to mood. Yeah, so B vitamins, and there are many different B vitamins, all with their own individual numbers. So the big one with vegetarianism is that people become, or especially with veganism, actually, that people can become deficient in B12. And B12 is the largest B vitamin that we eat. And we have this whole specialized absorption system sitting towards the end of our small intestine. And Mm -hmm. B12 is found in meat, dairy, and some seafood. Mm -hmm. So actually, the food with the highest content of B12 is clams. Mm -hmm. So if you're following a plant-based diet, it's something you really need to be mindful of. So what tends to happen, because our body has quite a good store of B12, is you'll go vegan, you'll start a plant-based diet, and you'll feel great to begin with. And you think, oh my gosh, this is Mm -hmm. suiting me so well. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of years later, you start to feel a bit rotten. Mm 
Yeah. You start to feel tired or develop other symptoms of B12 deficiency, and that can be tingling in your feet. It can be all sorts of psychological or psychiatric issues as well. So depression, brain fog, lots and lots of different problems. And people won't relate it to the decision they took two years ago to follow a plant-based diet. And of course, it is intrinsically related. So if you are plant-based or largely plant-based, B12 is an absolutely essential vitamin to take as a supplement. Mm-hmm. There was actually a study that was done here in the UK, and it looked at male vegans and found that 52% of them were B12 deficient. And something we need to think about as well is that we all actually have different all of us have genetically different requirements for different micronutrients so it's one of those that we've treated quite a lot of people at my clinic for who their blood tests show that their b12 is at the bottom of the normal range Mm. and so their gp has said oh no you're normal it's fine but they actually have a lot of symptoms of b12 deficiency So they've really benefited from treatment and it's really helped with their symptoms. So it's one of those things that with all of these, there's no one level that's perfect for absolutely everybody. And also, I think omega-3s as well when you're vegetarian or plant-based vegan, because there are so many omegas in in fish. Absolutely. Omega-3s are so important for all of us. They're a crucial component of your cell membranes. and They're very powerfully anti-inflammatory. So there are studies linking them with improved cognition and brain health, improved heart health, and absolutely also with improved skin health. And there are algal sources so from algae of omega-3s so there are vegan sources that you can explore and look at and you could look alternatively at increasing the amount of ala alpha lipoic acid that you're eating so flaxseed is quite a good source of that for example but it's definitely one not to neglect it's one of those micronutrients that you are likely to be short of if you're following a vegan or strict vegetarian diet So this next one's a new one for me, but I saw it in your Get the Gloss November article promoting the podcast. So great article, by the way. Thank you. Alpha ketoglutarate. Yes. (laughs) So longevity is such an area of huge research at the moment. And we don't have data on humans with this yet. It's currently being studied on flies and in mice. Mm -hmm. But it is one of those areas of potential excitement and promise for human health. So it's a substance that we all have in our body that naturally decreases with age. And the early studies are seeming to show that it might extend our lifespan. Okay. That's very interesting. And you mentioned a brand, Time Health, I think. Yes. Which I'll, I'll link into. Now, doing a bit of a swerve here, this is I think this is a stress theme, a stress type of uh, supplement, ashwagandha, which yeah. is a herbal uh, remedy. Yeah, ashwagandha is known as an adaptogen. So adaptogens are great at helping us to reduce our stress levels. Right. So research has shown that it can help to control those substances in our bodies that mediate our physiological stress. So cortisol and helping to reduce the activity of, it's called the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, so the HPA axis. And this Mm -hmm. comes back to the fact that all of our hormone systems talk to one another. And these are the main glands or some of the main glands in the body that produce some of these hormones and are responsible for regulating our stress response. Mm -hmm. 
And also potentially ashwagandha could be useful for helping to reduce inflammation and blood sugar levels and potentially boosting cognitive function in sleep. It's a really interesting one because I know some people who get on very well with it, but personally, I can't take it. I have tried it a few times and found that I am completely knocked out the next day. I can't get out of bed in the morning. And this is apparently a thing with some people who are living relatively high stress lifestyles. So for me, it almost takes me too far. But that isn't common. My reaction and response to it is quite rare, but it was really very profound. And at first, I didn't put two and two together until I started noticing it was happening whenever I took the ashwagandha. So With a lot of supplements, we don't have enough strong evidence yet to guide its use and particularly how we use it. So dosage and what the best forms of taking it are. And it is also important that with a lot of these supplements, especially if you're going through things like pregnancy or if you have other health conditions like prostate cancer or liver problems, for example, you really should seek medical advice. Yeah. Okay. On a similar kind of theme, I guess, in relation to staying stress-free, CBD, um, specifically in relation to women, PMS, menopause, things like that? I love CBD. I think (laughs) it's excellent. I personally think oils are the best form. And I have one by my bedside table. For me, I find it particularly useful if I've got a busy mind before I go to bed. Mm -hmm. That's for me where it plays a really big role. But Mm -hmm. There's also a lot of emerging data showing it can be useful for treating hormonal or emotional issues that a lot of women suffer. So things like cramps, irritability, depression or anxiety, which can be associated with both PMS or with perimenopause. Mm -hmm. It's also a really good anti-inflammatory and there are quite a lot of skincare lines now looking at CBD as an ingredient as well. Now, a lot of people, when I say CBD, say, oh, isn't that cannabis? (laughs) Which, of course, is illegal as a class B drug in the UK. But Uh CBD is not cannabis. It's one tiny component of cannabis. Mm -hmm. But it's something called cannabidiol, which isn't the part that gets you high. That's something called THC. Mm -hmm. But it is an anti-inflammatory and antioxidant and does help to relax muscles. And that's why we tend to feel it's an anti-anxiety and a calming agent. Mm-hmm. I do think it's a really good one if you struggle with sleep. I have a brilliant brand called Dream Distillery. Their CBD drops at night are a godsend when I can't switch my brain off. Mm-hmm. And they also have some amazing CBD bath salts. I also have been very fortunate to have, there's another good brand called Otto. And they do CBD massages at some fantastic spas across the UK. And they actually dose the CBD that you're you're given as part of your treatment. And I don't think I've ever had a better night's sleep than after that. We are going to link into all of this. And very quickly, when you take your CBD oil at night, how quickly does it take to take effect? So the key thing is not to just swallow it. You drip it and you just hold it under your tongue for 
a few seconds. I tend to do for about 30 seconds or so. And then I find it really does kick in quite quickly for me. And I tend to sleep like a dream. (laughs) Amazing. And there's loads of studies out, so I'm going to link into those as well. We cover probiotics in our specific gut health episode. We also cover collagen in episode three. So we're not going to be talking about these here, but I want to acknowledge them because I know that they're two of your favorites from a skincare and healthcare perspective. What's the deal with glutathione? The yeah. own, glutathione. Have, yeah, thank you. It's <laughs> meant to have anti-aging properties, amongst other things. So glutathione is a master antioxidant. It naturally occurs in the liver and for your body, it's its absolute master antioxidant and a, a real anti-aging powerhouse. So our levels are depleted by lifestyle factors like alcohol, stress, poor diets, And as we age, our levels do naturally decline, making it much harder for us to detoxify. So I love taking glutathione. And one thing I definitely notice, and this isn't obviously, I'm not recommending getting a hangover to test it. I'm not (laughs) a big drinker at all. But if I know I'm going to be going out and having a couple of drinks, I will make sure I've had my glutathione because my liver just works so much more efficiently afterwards. It's also good for treating pigmentation and can be used as a supplement and also intramuscularly to help with treating skin pigmentation. But unfortunately, there are some cultures in which it's been used for skin lightening, which is something I feel really sad about because Mm. I like to embrace every different culture and their uniqueness. Mm. But that is another benefit, that kind of skin brightening or skin lightening. Mm. Do you have a recommended brand? Yeah, so a lot of the sort of tablet supplements just have very, very poor absorption with glutathione. So I take the Altriant one. And as a good friend and colleague of mine described to me once, he said, yes, Sophie, but it smells like fart. (laughs) It doesn't smell very pleasant, but literally it's just getting it down the hatch in a small shot of water and the benefits are absolutely worth it. I'm glad you gave a little caveat there so no one's one's surprised. Um, (laughs) A lot of people are fasting, intermittent fasting. Kudos to Dr. Mindy Peltz, who's doing a lot of great work in this space, and I love her podcast too. I'm trying to intermittent fast. In fact, I am intermittent fasting. People who do this are taking MCT oil in their coffee, in black coffee, to help with autophagy and other things. What's the deal with MCT oil? Yeah, so MCT oil is, it stands for medium chain triglycerides. Triglycerides are fats and medium chain means they're medium length chains of these triglyceride fats. And it's really easily absorbed and transported throughout the whole body and is an instant source of energy. So your body can convert any fats actually down to ketones and ketones can be used as an alternative source of energy if you don't have glucose around. So when you're Mm -hmm. in a fasting state, you might have lower levels of glucose. So ketones can help to bolster your energy levels. There's also some early evidence to possibly suggest that MCT oil may help people consume fewer calories throughout a day, but that's not definitive data yet. But the data for that conversion to ketones and the usefulness of that for people doing intermittent fasting, there are more studies seeming to draw similar conclusions that could be beneficial. But Mm -hmm. as with all things supplement, the quality of the data in this space is sometimes lacking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. For people who work out a lot and do lots of exercise, creatine, what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, it's a hugely popular exercise supplement, mainly used to increase muscle size and strength, but potentially also does have other benefits related to how your brain functions and how you age. So there was one study which showed that taking eight grams of creatine a day for five days help to reduce mental fatigue during mathematical calculations, for example. And that's compared to taking a placebo. Mm -hmm. And then there are other studies that have shown that varying doses may help improve short-term memory. So that improved mental acuity is one possible benefit alongside the physical ones. Mm -hmm. But it's a substance that's naturally made up in your body from amino acids, glycine, arginine, methionine. And you can find it in beef, chicken, pork, fish. It's one of those that vegetarians often have slightly lower levels of. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if you're supplementing, the most common form you can find is creatine monohydrate. And generally people need to load with it. So rather than starting at the dose you're going to stay on, it's one of those that you need to kind of saturate your muscles in it. You take a higher dose at the beginning and then you take a lower dose to help maintain your muscle stores thereafter. Mm -hmm. Okay. What I'll do is I'll put a, a link into uh, creating loading in the notes as well so people can find out more Amazing. Yeah. And actually, Strong Nutrients have a very good creatine product And that was developed by someone called Zana Morris, who is, she has an amazing philosophy around exercise and then went on to develop the Strong Nutrients brand. Okay, we'll link into that too. What about supplements with amino acids? Yeah, amino acids. And there are a variety of essential amino acids that the body needs. And sometimes they can be good around exercise again and muscle repair, but they can also potentially support fat loss, especially central fat loss. So around the tummy area because they can help to counteract those harmful effects of insulin through having a a hormone balancing effect. So you can get various types of amino acid supplements, generally take them preferably on an empty stomach before you go to bed at night. From a personal perspective, I've come off HRT um, as I was diagnosed last June with an estrogen and progesterone receptive breast cancer. So that's why I've come off HRT. I know that not everybody with breast cancer does come off, and I know it's about personal choice, but this is just what I've done. I'm thinking about HRT alternatives. What is there out there for women like me who don't take HRT for whatever reason? This is an area that's lacking a lot of data. So one of the ones that has more data about it is black cohosh, which is a herb that's been being used by the Native Americans for centuries to treat menstrual and menopausal problems. It's quite a popular one for women suffering from hot flushes, but we don't yet fully understand how it works. One study showed that 70% of postmenopausal women who took it reported decreases in their menopausal symptoms Mm -hmm. but there wasn't a placebo group to compare it to so it isn't what we would call a strong study Mm -hmm. there's also a question mark that's often posed for breast cancer survivors on whether it has an estrogenic effect so this is where something you take is converted into estrogen in the body even though you haven't taken estrogen but there is no reason to believe that with black cohosh there are no phytoestrogens in the supplement Mm -hmm. so there should be no reason to do that Mm -hmm. I believe there was a study that actually showed it might even be beneficial towards breast cancer treatment so rather than just being able to treat perimenopausal symptoms it may have lots of other benefits okay 
Red Clover is another one that is marketed for the same hot flushes and menopausal symptoms. And there have actually been two randomized controlled studies comparing it to placebo, which is useful to have. But unfortunately, neither study showed any benefit over placebo. I would say that with a lot of these menopausal supplements, it can be very tempting to buy into everything that the package claims. And I'm I'm not saying there's any harm in trying these things either. For most people, they're safe to try, but we don't have strong data to support their use. And I am going to link into actually various things that I found so that people can take a look at the pro and the counter argument and then they can make up their own minds. Exactly. And the one thing I would say that anyone who suffered with breast cancer needs to be careful of is phytoestrogens. Mm -hmm. Anything that's a phytoestrogen, if it's been hormone receptor positive breast cancer, is a no. But a lot of people do worry about soy, but soy is a source of isoflavones rather than phytoestrogens. It's one that I wouldn't be as worried about as many people are. A couple of other ones that could be useful, milk thistle can be really helpful for helping to prevent osteoporosis and also reduce symptoms of anxiety and depression, which are unfortunately so common in perimenopause. Mm. And also St. John's wort, which Mm. many people talk about as being a good one for helping with any psychological symptoms, again, anxiety and depression. And people say it works in a similar way to antidepressant medication. And evening primrose oil is another really, really popular one. So there's no harm in trying these things. Some people may find they work, but it's important to remember that a third of women have an absolutely torrid time in perimenopause. A third have sail through with very few problems, if any, and a third have symptoms somewhere in the middle. Mm, And it's about finding what works for you. Yeah, exactly. As you said with the ashwagandha, you know, it's a very very personal experience. I also wanted to mention that you cover NAD plus and spermidine in, I think, our launch episode, episode one. Is there anything else that you wanted to build on with these two as I know that they're in in your rotation? Or just should we just mention the fact that these are two other good ones to take? Yeah, NAD plus is one I take religiously or a supplement that boosts my NAD plus levels. So Nuchido Time Plus is the supplement that I really rate Mm -hmm. and definitely for helping to maintain cellular energy and I noticed that both physically and mentally that I have more energy and spermidine and the supplement I'd recommend here is primidine Mm -hmm. is excellent for stimulating autophagy which is the process of clearing out senescent cells that are potentially causing inflammation in the body. They're both really good ones to think about if you're looking to supplement for increasing your lifespan and your health span. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we also, in that first step, talked about uh, resveratrol, which is an antioxidant. I haven't found a supplement yet that I think gives the bioavailability with resveratrol. As an ingredient in principle, it is a very useful antioxidant. And I keep seeing the word nootropics on my social feeds and uh, there are several supplements creating a a buzz. Do you want to run through some of these? Yeah, so nootropics are fascinating and also smart drugs, as people call them. Mm -hmm. And these can be either natural or synthetic and some of them are actually available as prescription medications. Mm -hmm. So I remember, I don't know if you've seen the film with Bradley Cooper, Limitless, Mm 
fabulous film about him discovering this drug that lets him just suddenly utilise all of his brain and achieve so much more and become this genius. Now, nothing available yet (laughs) quite does that, but that film was based on medications that are available. That's where the idea behind it came from. It's like they've created the ultimate man, Bradley Cooper becoming yet more perfect. Exactly. (laughs) What a combination. (laughs) But in terms of within the realm of supplementation, There's an amino acid called L-theanine, which can be taken as a supplement, even more effective if you take it with caffeine. It's actually naturally found in tea. But even if you supplement with 50 milligrams, which is about the same amount as you'd find in two cups of brewed tea, can help to increase the alpha waves in the brain, which Mm -hmm. help to increase our creativity. Mm -hmm. And some studies have also shown that higher doses of it have a very calming effect without making you feel drowsy. Mm-hmm. There's also a supplement called Bacopa Monieri, which is um, has been shown to help improve memory and information processing. And another good one is ginseng, which has been around for a really long time. And there have been studies that have shown it helps to reduce brain fatigue and improve performance, so mental performance when doing difficult math problems, for example. Yeah. What about... Curcumin, curcumin and quercetin, which are both creating a bit of a buzz in the cancer prevention alternative space. I mean, I know this because I'm doing so much research, having been diagnosed with breast cancer, and also berberine, which is also apparently being the key word here, anti-cancer. Do you have any um, any thoughts or any anything you want to say about those supplements? So I'd say the first of these that I became more familiar with was curcumin, and that was through studies that showed people in populations where curcumin intake is high, for example, thinking about India, where they eat a lot of curries with turmeric in, had much lower rates of several types of cancer. And I've been supplementing curcumin for years. And what's important is that you take it in conjunction with bioperin, which is black pepper extract, which helps to enhance the uptake. So that's one that is really effective as an anti-inflammatory. And quercetin is another free radical scavenger in the body. And berberin is one that most people seem to think of as having gut effects, actually, to help treat fast gut transit and diarrhea. But Mm. actually, there are some studies starting to emerge showing benefits in inhibiting cancer cell proliferation. I think these are all really interesting. And nature is medicine. I think there's so much more we have to learn. Yeah, I'm reading the Jane McClelland book at the moment, which, again, I'm you know will be honest and say we data is emerging. Um, I want to caveat everything we're saying here, but uh, Jane's book is very interesting, and she talks about lots of supplements and off license meds, and I'll link into that too. Two more, then we'll finish up. Mm-hmm. Iodine and um, charcoal, not related. I just thought I'd put them both in at once. Iodine, I think, is potentially a really good one. A lot of people are deficient in iodine. So we're one of only two high-income countries in the world that have iodine deficiency issues. It comes from seaweed, dairy, white fish, Mm -hmm. and also can be a very useful one for anyone suffering with thyroid problems. Charcoal is one of those that there are lots of purported benefits. So when I used to work in A&E, we would give activated charcoal as something to 
any people who've taken an overdose of something orally because it helps to mop up toxins. Mm -hmm. But actually, there is talk that activated charcoal as a supplement could have all sorts of other benefits like reducing bloating and gas, helping to reduce cholesterol levels and boosting kidney function. But it's one of those that I haven't seen enough about personally yet. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, we could go on and on, couldn't we? I, th- I think of all the subjects that we've been doing, um, this, this could be my favourite, this that particular episode. I find it fascinating and um, your knowledge, your depth of knowledge is incredible and so impressive. Sophie, as always, thank you. Thank you. I've loved this chat. that ends our podcast if you want to explore more of what we talked about simply head to the show notes we've done all of the research and noting down of names ideas any studies we mentioned so you don't have to go digging to be ahead of the latest episode press follow on apple podcasts that's the little cross on the top right or simply hit follow on spotify or whichever podcast app you use also do follow sophie on instagram and tiktok there's loads of great content and little explainers on there. Search for Dr. Sophie Schotter. Finally, if you're close to London or Kent, you can book a consultation with Sophie and find out more about who she is and the range of treatments and services she offers via drsophieschotter.com. And by the way, there's some great blog content on the website too. My name's Fiona Mattesini. On behalf of myself and Sophie, please do take a moment to rate and review the show. It all helps. And of course, thanks for listening. Thank you.